Today I'm talking with a very close longtime friend who created an incredible animation channel on YouTube called Luck Is Me. He'd prefer to be known by his character persona, Luck, so I will respect his wishes. He's an incredibly talented animator, musician, and writer. We've had so many incredible conversations over the years. I hope to bring a slice of his genius to you here, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Luck. Check out his fantastic YouTube channel, Luck Is Me. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did recording it. All right, let's start with what is Luck Is Me? What was the inspiration? And how did you get interested in animation? Try to deparse all those all at once. Okay, what was the first one? Uh, what is Luck Is Me? Uh, Luck Is Me, the character or the business icon? Um, the character is basically the things that I wish I would have said or the things I would have liked to have said in those particular situations. It's kind of like my inner voice, the angry inner voice typically. That's the character. And then the whole impetus of the channel was an outlet to practice animation. Um, it was in college. I was studying English literature for no reason. I had no idea what I was doing, but I was required to take an animation class as just a, an elective. And so I took an animation class with no background in animating or anything. It just sounded like, oh, that's kind of neat. And I fell in love with the idea of animating, um, taking these dumb little characters or these little drawings. And then you just, what we used in the animation class was Adobe Animate. And you just draw a stick figure, drag him over, tween it, and all of a sudden he's moving. And as rudimentary as it is, even my 20-year-old brain was gaga over the idea of this little thing is alive now. And so I fell in love with the idea of animating. And so I wanted to make a YouTube channel that was purely an excuse to animate. Um, and it would be just a portfolio or like a journal of my animations. So the very first one I made, the very first episode, Dogs, um, wasn't written. It was just I picked up a microphone and I wanted something to animate. And it was after an incident I had with the neighbor's dog. So I picked up a microphone in my room and just started ranting about dogs and then I animated to it. I uh, drew my little character and drew the little scenarios. And that episode was my peak skill and ability in animating. And it was as crude and bad as, well, it was as good as it could be. And it was extremely bad. <laughs> so uh, the one moment in that episode where Luck jumps out the window and rolls, uh, I was very proud of. Because what I wanted to do is I wanted to actually redraw each frame and not cheat. Sure. Um, I don't know if you know, for the people who don't know with animating, uh, with digital animating, there's a lot of help that the computer can give you and it can invent the in-between frames. So you might have uh, my character Luck at one part of the room, go to the other part of the room, and the computer can fill in the blanks and just have him slide across the room. And a lot of animators will do that to save time. It doesn't look very good, but to get the idea across, luck moved across the room. Um, it's not interesting to look at, but it's quicker. But I wanted to challenge myself to never use that kind of thing. And so... 
<laughs> there it is. There it is. There I like is. that. <laughs> I knew we'd have a moment like that at some point. <laughs> I don't even know what the initial question was. <laughs> That's good. All right, guide us back. Yeah. Um, Help me. So, uh, yeah, what is it to you that's super attractive about mm. the art of doing frame by frame and not having any tweening? Let me tell you what it really is. All right. Okay. Sure. What you just said, what's, what that attracted me mm-hmm. to the whole idea of animating. Mm-hmm. As I was saying my bullcrap answer earlier, I was realizing things that I was leaving out that I never really thought about um, back in the day we would make dumb movies with either me and my brother or me and you, we'd make these movies. And so I always had an interest in storytelling and video form of some sort. Um, Way back when I was like 10 or 11, I used to make really, really crappy comics, Charlie Brown comics. I would just copy, what's his name? Charles Schultz. And uh, I would just copy his art style with little, his IPs and just make Charlie Brown comics. And then I made uh, Halo comics, Master Chief comics with me and my neighbor would show each other. And so, then I started making stop motion Lego videos and I had a YouTube channel. I can't remember the name luckily. So no one can look it up. <laughs> cut, cut that out. <laughs> Beep that out. <laughs> it docks me. Don't. That's a face reveal that I don't want. <laughs> no, my, I was a different YouTube channel where I made stop motion Lego movies. And claymation. I was. That's on my question list. I was. I was going to actually ask you what uh, if claymation and yeah, stop motion and I didn't think about it till just now. That I turns out, even though I never did drawing animation, that intrigue didn't start till that college class I was forced to take. Right. I, it turns out it was always leading up to that, like a force of nature it was always destined that I was going to be an animator. It turns yeah. out, um, I got a late start at it. Is the only unfortunate part. But yeah, I started with. Lego animation, uh, claymation, making dumb videos with you and me and my brothers. Uh, that other YouTube channel that I won't mention that wasn't, that it was actually me on camera. I don't want to face reveal myself. Um, started where I would play multiple characters because no one else was available at the time. Can I, I won't, my brother. <laughs> You're giving me a lot of work. <laughs> Bleep that out. This whole my brother. You're the one that wanted to be anonymous. It's <laughs> hard. My brother uh, was busy. You were busy. Everyone was busy, but I still wanted to make a video. So I just played multiple characters and that's how that started. And I can now see why animation was such a desirable avenue because i could draw as many characters as i want i could just do different voices and i could be the whole crew so i think that's kind of maybe what happened there let's go maybe to more the sort of practical implementation side of things for a little bit what is your day-to-day workflow process and what software do you use and how has that changed over time Mm. i started off using adobe animate that's what they had at the college when i took that class so i used that uh, oh, thank you. Um, so I started using Adobe Animate. That's what they had at the college that I took that class at. Uh, so that was the program I was familiar with. And because I was a student, the Adobe Suite was cheaper. There's a student discount or whatever. So I was able to have the entire Adobe Suite for $20 a month. When I wasn't a student anymore, that price went to infinity. You know, it's costs it's infinite insane. dollars for Adobe Animate now. So I, and what happened was it's also not a good program. Uh, Adobe 
I could go off on a huge rant about Adobe, but I won't, is really bad. I think they're just, they make, they made outstanding products that they're just writing on their laurels and they haven't innovated and I think they suck. So I was using Adobe Animate and it crashed all the time. But at one point while I was about 100 hours into a cartoon, which was The Common Cold, which I eventually remade and released, but I was 100 hours into it, it crashed and corrupted all the autosave files. So I just lost 100 hours of work. So I was like, I'm done with Adobe Animate. That's out. And I wanted to free uh, some sort of free open source program. And that's when I went to Krita or Krita. I don't know how you pronounce it. It's this open source. It's only frame by frame. So it's very traditional style. And I love it. I think it's great. A lot harder. All the animation took a lot longer, but I really like the style of them. But then eventually I now use, and I'm going to use, I think forever, uh, Blender because they revamped their 2D side of things they were always a 3d program but they made a 2d implement uh, what would you call it a 2d app within it a 2d feature set yeah that's stupidly powerful especially since it's free and how good has that got like how has that changed over time i don't know you but you tried it out back in the day um i didn't so well i sort of did what happened is in the blender 2.8 came out and they just were like revamped the grease pencil thing which always was a feature but i guess it wasn't that robust and they just heavily advertise that. Look how amazing this is. So I downloaded it and looked at it, and it's really complicated and intimidating. So I just went back to Krita for a while. But then I wanted to have a 3D background in this next cartoon. It was the Camping at Night one, and I wanted a 3D tree to make it really eerie. And uh, what, what, what would be the word for when something doesn't feel quite right? Um, unsettling. Unsettling feeling because it's supposed to kind of like this spooky he's in, he's in the woods alone at night so there's this 2D character luck in the 3D dark woods and all, the only way to pull that off was Blender. So I forced myself to learn Blender and with that I got comfortable with Grease Pencil and I fell in love. It's, it's the most incredible program I've ever used. I love it so much. And the fact that you can now mix 3D with 2D seamlessly is, is, is the, the innovation that Adobe would never even consider. Yeah, <laughs> just to go back to insulting Adobe. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't, I can't uh, disagree with you. Yeah. In my experience with their products, it's like they kind of get comfortable. It's kind of like what's happened to Apple, yeah. where they're just smelling their own farts and like buy this next product, <laughs> and people do. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. Well, like Photoshop is supposed to be the most powerful, amazing photo editor in the world, but. Affinity Photo, have you heard of Affinity? Mm-mm. It's just this other European company. They have their photo editor and painting program, and it's as powerful as Photoshop in every way. And it's $50 flat price. That's, That's amazing. It. Photoshop is infinity dollars. So, yeah, Photoshop is like $100 a month. Yeah. Insane. It's insane. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so what's your what's your process for writing? Let's start with that. What When you think of a concept how do you put that on paper and how do you convert it into the written screenplay a couple episodes wasn't written i just started ranting about something and so like the first episode did dogs and also the another episode signals weren't written uh i just kind of just started riffing and talking and then i would like kind of pause re-record something as i think about it so it was like kind of getting molded as i recorded um but generally it's I think of a funny concept, something that actually irritates me in real life, and then I start writing jokes about it. I would imagine just how like standard comedians would. I have a bunch of notes. Either it's memos on my phone 
or notes on my iPad or Google Docs on my computer or actual just scribbles, um, just topics that I think are funny that could be squeezed for some five-minute jokes. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. That's cool. What would you say is the hardest part about adapting one of your ideas for a visual medium rather than just kind of stand-up jokes or something that would be conversational? The hardest thing is a lot of jokes that work really well for stand-up. So, yeah, the way I kind of describe my channel to people, it's stand-up comedy put to animation. But the hardest distinction between stand-up anim- uh, stand comedy and stand-up animation, stand-animation <laughs> is the pause for laughs that comedians put in their jokes. They like they they write the punchline anticipating a buildup of laughter when they pause at this moment and then boom, here's the punchline. And I don't get that pause for laughs. I don't get the right. r- riff and feel the audience movement and kind of modulate the timing of my jokes and the pacing dependent on the feeling of the audience. And that a lot of comedy comes from the pregnant pauses that comedians are able to employ. So do you still have to use pauses? Uh, I'll use pauses, but they, way? and that's what's tricky is I have to use them in the most blanket way of, you know, when a comedian tells one joke in one location, if the audience is loving it, he'll do a big giant pregnant pause that the audience laugh and then boom, here's a punchline or a different location. They're not really loving this kind of material. He kind of is able to kind of flow through it. But I have to kind of use like, I think this one and a half second pause will generally work the best. Maybe someone would have found it funnier if it was a longer pause. Do you think that the pause itself, when there is no audience or... <laughs> it makes it more awkward. So, so it doesn't raise the energy. It diminishes the energy. A pause lowers the energy. And where a pause at stand-up comedy increases the energy. And was like, it starts oh, that's laughing That's a really more. interesting thought. So it's kind of almost... Like when I was talking with Zach, we were talking about um, how music is sort of build up and release. And that's one sort of aspect of, and, and same with film to some degree, you're like building tension yeah, and then you're releasing. Do you yeah. Think and that's that, what that's, the pause does. And the pause yeah. is all tension. This, the difference is it's a tension that lowers the energy. Um, I had actually someone back like a couple of years ago, they wanted to be an editor for me and they, edited some of my cartoons that emailed me like here's how I would have edited them and the number one thing he had done was he increased the pauses made a lot of the pauses much bigger and he was going for the more awkward humor it's office style humor uh with big giant pauses and everyone is sweating he liked that humor more I don't like that humor more I like the pauses the way they were so I told him f you no I didn't respond to him <laughs> but, um, uh, but when a comedian pauses you'll hear the audience do nervous laughter and then the comedian might make a funny face and the audience will laugh even more. And then he says a punchline. And that's the thing I really wish I could have. I'll write jokes mentally picturing people laughing, but I was like, wait, but there won't be that laughter sound. Do you think people kind of make up that, I don't know, laughter or applause or something in their head and that's what they're actually doing in that fill time? Like what, why do you think- When stand-up comics do that? No, no, no. I mean, in, in when we're watching, uh, Comedy that has no applause, no audience. Uh, the office. Right. Yeah. Exactly. The office. Why Why is that timing? Well, so that's the thing where useful. you watch things on YouTube where they take like clip of friends without the studio audience and it makes everything more awkward, but it is still kind of funny. Yeah. It's just now when you watch the office and Michael says something awkward, everyone's sweating and everyone at home watching is sweating. Whereas in Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld will say equally like inappropriate things, but it's then 
masked with laughter and there's no awkward pause. Whereas if you took away that pause and everyone's standing around for the length of time Michael Scott stands around, it's all awkward. It's yeah. the exact same humor. That's funny. So it's just a different style of humor. Yeah. You're either laughing along with the audience or you're cringing and sweating. And that's also entertaining. And do you think that there's like a certain demographic that likes one type of comedy this versus the other? Demogra- this age, this generation likes awkward humor. Everyone likes feeling awkward and they like bragging about how awkward, like, sorry, I'm so awkward. Do you think that that will be something that goes away in a future generation? Like like how if you watch an old comedian from like the 1950s, we almost don't even get most of the humor, especially if we didn't grow up in that era, which we both of us didn't. Mm-hmm. Um do you think that that's because a lot of the times they're riffing off of culturally relevant things from that era? Or do you think it's because the comedic timing totally changed? Or like, what, what would you say that is? I don't know the old shows well enough, like Cheers and MASH and things like that. Yeah. From my understanding, it's more like MASH, for instance, it's the kind of humor is taking what was very serious, like wartime and making it funny. And like Cheers is very feel good. Um uh, The generation right above ours, what's that called? Is that X? X. X. That was more like, you know, that's Seinfeld. We kind of caught that because our parents or like, I don't know. Somehow we caught that. We shouldn't have caught it. We should have been too old I think or too young for it. I think it's because TV was starting to become put on DVD and things mm. like that where their previous generations, they would have to watch it on TV when it aired. Yeah, what's interesting is so it's like if you look at Seinfeld and – uh, like cheers, they're all like poking at each other and they're riffing on each other and mm. they kind of make fun of each other. And it's all kind of mean humor, but they're friends at the end of the day. Um, and then the next generation, it's always something in Philadelphia, the office and things like that. It's very awkward, mean, and like not uh, in good faith humor. It wasn't like we're poking at fun of each other, we're just mean to each other. Uh, where like Seinfeld makes fun of George Costanza and is like how a friend would. But uh, and it's always sunny Philadelphia or the office It's they say something really horrible. Yeah. But it's, it's also a lot of times kind of poking at the culture at large, right? A little bit like you're poking at, yes. uh, sort of racial issues and things like that. Like, yeah. like, uh, when Michael makes fun of, uh, when he says like, um, do you have a word that's less offensive than Mexican? <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> like that, that's not really necessarily mean it's just like poking fun at like right that's in the ethos of our culture right now yeah i agree it's almost like the audience is the other character in the show right that gets riffed on yeah that's an interesting thought like we are we're kind of in the room with them in a sense and that's what that's what makes the awkwardness more tangible yeah yeah that's such an interesting format for that show not to go too off on a tangent but Mm -hmm. the but the fact that you were watching it as if it's a documentary and you're right there with the characters. What do you think that gives to that show that makes it so unique? Um, well, it's as it's, a sitcom. Arrested Development started that. Oh, um, that makes sense. Yeah, not doing the, I forget what they call it, multi, multi-camera sitcom where mm-hmm. they're just on a room with multiple cameras. You switch back and forth between by having a single camera that falls around. It's a little shaky, a little more. And it feels like it's live style. action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it feels like live action. <clears throat> um, and the point with the rest of development was it made it more personable, authentic. You kind of got to follow them around their life. Um, and so that allowed a bunch of different types of jokes. And that was kind of, I guess, sort of the natural progression 
removing the laugh track from the audience yeah. is you sort of have to make it feel more real, right? It, well, over yeah, you remove the laugh track, you move the multi, you, you remove the laugh track, you remove the multi camera, and it all becomes just more personable, and you're bringing the audience closer. And I think with that allows it just makes it so awkwardness is more palpable without the audience laugh track to distract you or the multi-camera stationary like inhumanness of the camera yeah you're now like in it with them yeah because they're awkward you feel awkward seinfeld has the same few camera angles and Mm -hmm. every single shot it's always from the same back of the apartment angle uh do you think that you could create nowadays a show Seinfeld-esque without the laugh track and it would still be funny? Yes. I don't know if there is one that's kind of the most modern. I mean, uh, it's always sunny. Philadelphia is the closest. That's a good point. Yeah. The bar scene, which is kind of like Seinfeld's apartment. Uh, But they definitely mix around and they'll kind of go to different locales and have a single camera. So they kind of mix the two. But every now and then it is just a basic sitcom without a laugh track. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it still does work. Yeah. You, their humor is significantly yeah. different. Because there's other, like when you you look up on YouTube, um, Seinfeld without the laugh track, and you watch an episode, and it's like, it's still funny. And like Friends is still kind of funny, but Big Bang Theory is not funny at all. It's like, it's horrible. <laughs> so you'll get that kind of thing where the laugh track is doing the work for you. Yeah. And do you think the laugh track actually sort of brings the audience to thinking it's funnier than it actually is yes. to some degree? Yes. How do you think that works? Um. I think it's the mob mentality mm. overall. I mean, it kind of makes sense because when you're at a comedy live comedy show, you feel the energy of the room. Yeah, it's a yeah. lot. It is. I have laughed way harder, way harder than any Netflix special. Yeah, because there really is that connection with the person on stage, and the and the audience adds to that energy. Yeah, it's true. And then when their jokes are not good, it's even more intense that it's not good. Yeah, you can bomb. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's it's probably true. what makes uh the art of stand up so I know I would scary. love to do it, but boy is that scary. The idea of bombing. I think that has to be one of the scariest uh forms of art out there, don't you think? Cuz it it's like you fail so much harder than like a musician in a band or something like that who hits a couple off notes or something like yeah, that. Yeah, cuz you can rely on the other bandmates. Right. Um yeah, even Seinfeld has a joke about the number one uh, most feared thing is public speaking. Yeah. Uh, and that's his joke is you'd rather be in the casket than giving a eulogy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's what comedians have the scariest job technically. Their their whole job is public speaking. But also not just like giving information, but like eliciting a particular response. Like laughter is scary and very vulnerable. And it's like, I think this is funny. And when no one laughs, you're it's basically like you are not a funny person you should be ashamed of yourself. (laughs) So it's like, oh, that's really scary going up on stage. Yeah. Do you think Mm -hmm. it takes like a special personality type? It takes someone who's, uh, you might have to bleep this out, retardedly (laughs) secure. Like someone who just has, just is up in the clouds all the time about his own or her own place in this world that no matter what someone else says, they're not affected. Yeah. Do you think that they can kind of build that callus to some degree by just doing it? I think so. Yeah. 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 That's a, it's such an interesting form, uh, mm. media form. Wild. What are some influences uh, that you gain inspiration from on the animation side? The animation side? Yeah. 
Mm. Like it could be film, it could be YouTube, it could be, it doesn't have to be necessarily the same sort of style you have, but just people that you find talented. Um, let's see. Things that actually influence my art style would be YouTubers like OneENG or ONENG, I don't know how to pronounce it, and Psychic Pebbles. They did videos like, I think you know this one, Levioso. Yeah. Those ones. Um, they have a very cute, charming art style that's, um, it's almost like South Park though, where it's like very cute and charming, but used in a dark way that I really like. Um, and then Dre Day Under A is another YouTuber where his animation style is extremely limited. It's as simplistic as it can be, but his avatar is just a little stick figure with a giant head, which is basically luck. Um, my animation is much more animating than his. He, he has barely like four different frames he switches between, but gets the idea across. Um, the animators that influence my work ethic would be, I watched this documentary on these, this Japanese studio that did My Little Witch Academia. And it's a studio that hired a bunch of either college students or right out of college students to help them like here's it's almost uh freelance at the word. No, what's the word internship. Um, but they were paid, but it was their first foray foyer. I always get that one mixed up. I'm not sure for one of the two. It was, it was their first outing in the animation world. And it's a big deal. Like if they can make this work, then they will become professional animators. And so they take it extremely seriously. And there's this documentary talking about how much blood and sweat and passion they put into it and discipline they have, which is every day just drawing over and over and over and over and over where they're sleeping at the office, getting ready for the deadline. It's unhealthy, but it's really inspiring. Um, one of the animators said that the difference between an amateur animator and a professional animator isn't their skill. It's just that an amateur animator, if they don't feel like animating, won't animate. Or a professional, when they don't feel like animating, will animate. And that's the only difference. And I've actually heard the same thing from the perspective of writers mm -hmm. as well. Like mm -hmm. the, um, I, I own a book, I forget what it's called, I'll, I'll have to think of it. Um, but his whole point is you have to build the habit of writing mm -hmm. on a fixed schedule or, yeah. or in some very regimental way, or it will always be like you're saying a feelings thing. Like I'm going to do it when I feel like doing it, which will either just hinder you and take forever or you'll slowly lose interest in it. Right. Um, but yeah, if you're only writing when you're in the mood to write, then you're an amateur writer. You're not a professional. And I, that really stuck with me. And so it was from then on that I got very consistent. I try and do three hours of animating every day. I have two other jobs, so I can't do more. Um, <laughs> but So I try and do three hours every single day, other than the weekend, every weekday. Um, and if I miss 30 minutes or an hour, I make up for it on the weekend. But it's Monday through Friday, three hours every day. Um, I mean, it's kind of like a workout in a sense. It's like, like a workout. It's yeah. like, a, uh, yeah, it has to become just a religious thing. And oftentimes not in the mood to do it, but you just got to do it. Um, and so I feel like I can, even though I'm not super successful yet, um, I feel like I can call myself a professional animator. Yeah, I totally agree. And what does a day in the life of your animation look like? Like, do you spend 
uh, is most of that time spent drawing or is it spent? Yeah, it comes yeah. in like five stages or so. Uh, the initial stage is writing and then recording. And then the next two stages are the animation stages. And it is sketch it out and then rough it out and then clean it up is how I do it. So my sketch is just really basic, like thumbnails, get the general idea of what's going to happen, what each scene will lay out or how it'll lay out. And then I rough it out where you just kind of, um, without detail, get the movement down and things like that. And then I do the line work and that includes lip syncing. Um, and then if I need to add color. And so that's the process there. What do you think the, the element of making your visuals really finessed adds to the final product. How, how does that add to the storytelling? The, it doesn't. Um, that's purely for me. When I like, when I draw luck and a little bit of his hair line slightly sticks past the ear line, no one would notice and, but drives me nuts. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm definitely a perfectionist and it, my cartoons look really nice. I really am happy how they look, but they don't need to look that nice. Yeah. Cause it, like you were saying, some of the other YouTubers that you like do really simplistic animation, but they still get the point across. Yeah. But you do lose, there are aspects of the visual storytelling that you are losing by not having more depth sometimes detail distracts from the joke that's and that's true. that's a big thing that i have to watch out for um at the heart of it though it still is a portfolio and i'm trying to just the whole every episode i make it's better looking i like to think it's funnier too but it's always better looking and that's because i'm trying to become a better animator so i don't just stick with the level i was at four years ago um the level i was at four years ago that would be like the episode, what would the episode be? Cats. Yeah. Would be an example of that where, you know, it looks good, but versus now the, like the last one I did, the dating world is way different. It looks like my dating world episode, I think looks really good. I'm very happy about it. Well, and the one that you just went off sort of the Harry Potter one. Yeah. That one's great. Full color, good motion. Uh, what I love so much about it is it's not, and the whole, not the whole reason, but what was the most the thing I was most excited about doing was it wasn't just glorified stick figures. They actually had weight and girth and like figures. And so I actually had to animate them correctly. I couldn't just like, eh, and then this arm stick goes over there and you get the <laughs> idea. It was like, he's got fingers, he's got joints. I got to actually like animate this. And I am very, very happy. That was a big challenge. But that kind of stuff is what makes me feel like I can call myself an animator. Yeah. And how much extra time would you say this style, this new kind of more finesse style takes you than your more uh, simplistic style of the past? Well, the truth is they all take about the same amount of time because it's the best I could do at that point. Right. So like dogs, now I could animate in two days. That's hilarious. But it took me weeks and weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. So you're kind of you're kind of staying at the same time Yeah, frame. I put in the same effort every yeah. time. It's just my skills have gotten better. What do you use to hone your skills? How do you get better? What I was initially doing was each episode I was going to try something new. Um, the, for instance, with dogs, it was just getting some motion down. With musicals, there was some rudimentary lip syncing when they would sing. With recital, I toyed with perspective when he's up on stage. 
And so each episode, I try and do a, a new animation fundamental. And now it's gotten to the point where I got all my fundamentals down, but now I'm introducing 3D elements and 3D objects and 3D backgrounds. So that's a whole new world. Do you think that that will be kind of in a more broad sense um, a progression of 2D animation in in culture at some point? It was always going that way back with Treasure Island, Disney 2002, where the spaceship was 3D. And even Tarzan, when he's sliding on the trunks at the beginning, the trees are 3D with paint 2D, uh, 2D painted textures. Yeah. So everyone was always trying to use 3D in a clever way that wasn't distracting, but really helped. I found it was always distracting, but it's getting better and better to where they're able to do things. Because what would happen is those 3D material or 3D objects that would move were way too smooth and perfect. And that's what gave it away that it was 3D. And now they're able to do things where they will purposely either lower the frame rate of the Mm -hmm. 3D object, whether it's like a 3D bus when they make a turn, it just looked too good. And so they'll actually like have the 3D bus, you know, make the turn, but then they'll go through it frame by frame and make it imperfect. So it looks more convincingly like it was just a really well done 2D bus. And it makes it just less distracting, but a lot easier. Do they ever use um, like the grease pencil tool over the 3d objects. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. It's really cool. Yeah. You can do line work over your 3d object. That is, that's basically how one of the big innovators of it or implementations, it wasn't blender, but it's the same idea. was Disney's short paper planes. Mm. It was looked like 2d animation. Do you remember that black and white one where they throw paper planes and it's like, I think I've seen it, but it's been a while. Is that the beginning of, wreck it ralph or something silly i can't remember but it was it looked like 2d it looked like just traditional disney classic 2d animation black and white gorgeous but in reality it was 3d but they traced over it in 2d and like it was 3d models that they did line work 2d line work over and it looked really convincing and looked amazing um the reverse of that is klaus i was gonna say where it was 2d but then they did like 3d painting over it in a way yeah, so they like kind of essentially that. added like digital lighting, I think. Yeah, to like it. some crazy algorithm that detected what the surface should be in 3D. Yeah. It was impressive. It, that movie is really cool. And so it's like this It's this new thing. The other thing is uh, Into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. It's 3D, but with a lot of 2D assets on top of it. So this kind of new thing that I'm very excited about is... Um, blending 2D and 3D because uh, back in the day it would be 2D movies and then a random 3D asset like a flying bow would come through and like that looks different and terrible yeah that didn't look right uh, by itself it looks great if the rest of the movie looked like that yeah and so it was very incongruent but now the quest is either you just make it 2D mm-hmm. like Klaus everything's 2D and then maybe put a 3D filter on it yep. or you make everything 3D but then do some 2D strokes over it yeah. so that's a lot more consistent yeah it's really fun that people are finally experimenting with the mix uh, of the two yeah. mediums because yeah. they obviously both have their own advantages and styles to them that you can use. And 3D, I feel like, is a little played out at this point. Not not that there's obviously... There's certainly ways that they can make it more interesting down the road, but having a mix of the two is really interesting and, mm-hmm. and pretty unique and new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that will be explored more in um thanks in, to blender mofos like me can finally <laughs> try this kind of thing because that's 
high-end stuff that was like you know you'd have maya which is thousands of dollars and then you have infinity dollars adobe that you'd like use to draw over maya so that was very much not in the realm of people like me and youtubers having access to those same tools so now thanks to blender we get to kind of experiment with this whole new and also youtubers themselves are uh, innovating the animation world i would say yeah, I was going to say, are there any animators on YouTube um, or any of the ones that you listed as inspirations that are playing with the mixed medium? of No, TV not 3D? that I listed, but there's animators that are using even uh, Unity and making yeah. really impressive That's so interesting. 3D movies and like Blender, of course. You know, Blender's big thanks to individuals that aren't, you know, not big studios. Yeah, yeah. Blender is powerful. It is. Well, and it's now becoming more and more adopted by bigger, maybe not big studios, but like mid-sized studios. I know. Yeah, like indie films. I'm sure. For sure. Yeah. Because it's just so much cheaper. Yeah. And now, now it's as powerful. It yeah, maybe minus some of the physics, uh, but even that is getting a lot better. Like it's crazy. Yeah, and I would say the the rendering system has gotten so much better that in some ways I prefer it over like Maya. It's incredible. Yeah, super cool. What would you say is the primary uh, difference in style maybe between like Western animation and uh, Eastern like Japanese animation? So it was that Eastern Japanese animation was still very much 2D, mm-hmm. hand-drawn, frame-by-frame, traditional. They would even do it like paper. They slowly went to digital, which is like, yeah, for sure. That's a lot better, uh, or a lot more efficient, I should say. What's been happening more and more is they've been doing 3D with, well, like, cel-shaded 3D to make it look like 2D. Um, and I am sad about that. I get why they're doing it. It's, you know, it's better. You know. Do you think that's a cost thing like an economic it's a cost thing. thing yeah very much it allows it so if they make a sequel they already got the 3d models um so it's it is very much a cost thing yeah. and it does look good no doubt about it but more and more i see trying really hard to look like a 2d animation because 2d animation that japanese style 2d animation like your name studio ghibli is gorgeous it's just, there's nothing like it. It's yeah. just in, it's it's unreal. Insane. It's like paintings for every frame. And it's just been a quest to try and get 3D animation to look like 2D animation. And it's, uh, it's getting close. It's getting really, really, really close. It doesn't quite have that same authenticity. When you have 2D animation, you can like really feel each stroke in each frame. You can feel the hand or the artist because it's not quite perfect. There's little imperfections. Yeah. And... There'll be these funny things where, for instance, the new Dragon Ball Z movie is 3D. I guess it's not Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball Super. And they've been they've tried to use 3D in Dragon Ball games before to do like animation for the characters. And the way they drew the characters in 2D was very not correct as far as like uh, anatomical. It wasn't anatomically correct. So like sure. if they were standing a little bit askew to the camera and they look over in 2D, they would it'd be drawn in a way where you could see all their eyes and it'd be a really cool pose, but it wasn't correct at all. And so there's this really funny video where they took a 3D, it was the 3D Goku standing really cool, slightly askew to the camera, looking over, cool pose, and the exact same pose of the 2D character, but because the 3D character had to follow the rules of anatomy, it looked really derpy and really wrong. It didn't look cool at all. 
So then what they do now and what they're doing now and the reason why it looks good is they will go through and they alter the 3D model for that particular frame and they'll move the eyes completely anatomically incorrect so it looks good for that particular shot and there's this funny behind the scenes where in this frame of this 3D model of this character, it looks super badass. This looks awesome. Look at him standing there. Cool. And then you can rotate the camera within the program because it's a 3D program. And you rotate the camera and his face is completely distorted in reality. <laughs> but from that one angle, it's like an optical illusion. It looks super cool. That's interesting. And so that's, what's, so that's what they did in the new Dragon Ball Super movie. To make it look good, it's oftentimes only looking good from that particular frame that they're showing us. But if we could go into the program that they were using and rotate the camera yeah. and see what they could have seen if they rotate the camera, it looks just derpy. It's yeah. really funny. Well, I mean, that that actually is similar to even like Hollywood live action films from uh, the perspective of like set design. Like when I was uh, living in Cali, we saw the set of Fun with Dick and Jane mm-hmm. and it was literally just the front and like one side of the house uh, right, and so it looks house. like it's a whole house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. From the front, if you're shooting it from the right angle, it looks totally fine. looks absolutely yeah. like a real house. It's all optical illusion. But as soon as you go behind, it's literally just two walls stood up yeah. and nothing else. So that's what 3D modeling is doing now to try and uh, accurately uh, have the same style of 2D animation where... I guess what my problem with 3D animation was in general is Disney movies... Uh, Illumination movies, Pixar movies, DreamWorks movies, they all look the exact same. And that's because they have to follow anatomy. Yep. All their eyes are in similar spots. And when they, they all look very much the same, they all look like the same style characters because it's anatomy. And in 2D, you don't have to do that. You can draw one eye much bigger than the other one because they're standing at that angle and it just looks better to have it that way, even though it's not anatomically correct. But now they're changing that. You could potentially do that in 3D, but it would be a lot more work. It's a lot more work. The characters and it is a lot more work. And but that's what they're doing now, right? To emulate 2D animation. It's it's really interesting, and I bet that uh, AI at some point will be involved in adding a more human drawn effect on top of that. Possibly, I could see that at some point. Who knows, though, when that will happen. Possibly. Um, what would you say is a big difference in the storytelling style that Western animation versus uh, Eastern animation has? From what I've seen, Eastern animation doesn't really have the three-act rule as much. That's interesting. Uh, I can say for certain that Studio Ghibli, Hayao Miyazaki, just doesn't use it. He doesn't have any outline. He doesn't know how his movies will end. He just kind of starts making up scenes as they go. And then, okay, there's the end. Uh, I don't know if other Easter animations do that, but it, there's that general vibe of like, this movie's still gone. You know, yeah. it's, it's hard to tell the pacing. It's true. But somehow his movies, at least, at least the few that I've seen four or five or whatever, um, they do keep your attention pretty well. Maybe with, one or two exceptions. Yeah, there's this, and I kind of like to go to the universal style of when you tell a story even to your friends, you hook them, give them an explanation, and then you end it. So he, he's still in the back of his mind is having a begin, beginning, middle, and end. Right. But it's not as clear when the second act begins and when the second act ends. And also, do you think that because his art style is so much better, um, obviously subjectively, but so much more 
detailed than a lot of Western movies and so beautiful. Do you think that adds another element that keeps the audience captive? Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, let's see, what example? Avatar, honestly, the new Avatar movie. I haven't like, seen it yet. No one's seen it. <laughs> no. Uh, people are going there for the visual spectacle. They're not yeah. like, oh, I'm so curious what this blue people are, like what their lives are like. They're right. like, oh, that last one was cool looking. So yeah, visual, the visual aids definitely help. Yeah, I mean, that also kind of plays into the gimmick of like AAA games, not to go too much down a rabbit hole. No, that's hole. very true. A lot of people buy the next game because it, like, did you see how it looks? Yeah. Ugh. But like when you actually ask most people, especially that grew up in our generation, like they actually prefer the old school Nintendo games because their gameplay was so much more fun and the story and the characters were more interesting. Uh, no, there is this, that is true. It's, it's a little off topic, but the, the realism in games, I think, is a detriment. Where Red Dead Redemption 2 is a really good example where it takes five minutes to mount a horse because they're trying to make it as realistic as possible. <laughs> it's, too realistic. It's, it's so <laughs> aggravating. I couldn't play it. I was like, it I, this takes forever to just to like, like when you skin an animal, he, he skins the animal. <laughs> it's like he's just watching him skin the animal. Like, okay, I get this realistic, but. I, I think I, that this is insane. plays to the people that want to kind of live a second life. Well, it's it's brutal. Like he, he to open a cupboard, he actually gets down, groans, his knees pop, and he opens the cupboard. Like this is insane. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> you have to individually grab each item in the cupboard. Oh, so it's like, gosh. boy, is it realistic. So well, there's this new thing. There's where it's a like, limit of how yeah. realistic you should go probably. Yeah. And that happens in animation too where uh, the, the animation is so – a good example would be uh, what's it called? El Dorado mm. is an example where the animation was almost too good. It's really smooth, and mm -hmm. the characters are pretty humanly looking. Um, and when they move, they move too accurately, and it's not. It doesn't feel like you're watching a cartoon, but at the same time, they're making goofy sounds and goofy faces like it's a cartoon. So it's kind of like this weird. Whereas Aladdin, uh, the same era moves really snap and quick and the arms stretch and it's like Looney Tunes almost. Yeah. And so sometimes even with 2D animation, you get too realistic. It looks better, but it doesn't sell and it something feels off about it. Yeah. And do you think that that, like are both of those films hand-drawn or mm -hmm. is yeah, there Yeah, hand-drawn. They, they were also using some 3D aspects. Okay. Aladdin used like the 3D sand lion opened up his mouth and that was 3D. And so I like using 3D in that way. It was just like, this would just be a nightmare to 2D anime. Yep. So I'm like, yeah, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, they were 2D animation for the most part. What do a lot of the bigger studios use nowadays for the movies that they don't want to have hand-drawn? What kind of tools? What do you mean? Like they're not using Blender. No, I'm sure I know Pixar has their own that they like made. Well, yeah, Pixar, but Pixar's 3D. I'm I'm talking 2D. Oh wait, what did you, what was the question? Uh what tools are the the bigger studios using for 2D animation uh if if they're not hand drawing um, or if they're doing tweening? Studio Ghibli used a program called OpenTunes. I mm -hmm. think it's called something like that. But they used their own version that they kind of modulated, but they released like the base form for us people to kind of look at but i think for the most part i know in 
TV shows, Toon Boom is huge. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it seems to me that they take a program and they make a bunch of little alterations to it in-house is what it seems to be. Yeah, that makes sense. It, because each company's workflow is a little bit yeah, different. Yeah, for what they need. Yeah. What are some of your writing influences or or just peop, uh, writers, authors that you find interesting? Or books? Hmm. Hmm. That influenced my comedy style and my YouTube videos? That Yeah, let's go there first. Uh, let's see. The people that influenced my comedy style the most would be like Olin Rogers and Balloon Shop. Mm-hmm. Niga Higa. Uh, what influenced, what I love about him is he's all live action. Same with Olin Rogers and Balloon Shop. Olin Rogers and Balloon Shop, purely their comedy influenced me, but Niga Higa, he, he was also just ridiculously dedicated and he would release a video every week. And he was the kind of guy where it's like, even if you're not in the mood, you do it because you're professional. And that's something I really respected about him. Yeah. And... Let's see. Hmm. Kung Pao. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> the, the thumb movies. Well, and the, the timing on those are yeah. so funny. Yeah, just absurdist. Yeah. Stupid stuff. But your comedy isn't really absurdist. Well, a little bit of it is. Sometimes it is. But pretty rarely. Something I always really like. Generally, what I really like is when 2D, or not necessarily 2D, but family movies animation movies kung fu panda or or otherwise have a lot of heart mm-hmm. and they they actually have like something deep to them they're like yeah it's kind of cutesy animation but we got you know we got some depth to us as well and that kind of stuff i really really appreciate um and so i kind of try and do that with my little cartoons too most of my videos aren't just jokes 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 right. one of my favorite ones is uh conversation killers where the f- whole first half is luck making fun of all these people and how they ruin conversations and how annoying it is when someone talks about their dreams or they try and tell a story, but they give too much background information or they talk about their drug trip because he knows you're just sitting on a couch watching TV. It's not an interesting conversation topic. But then the second half, it goes through all those scenarios where he's talking to those people he's annoyed about, but turns out he wasn't actually in conversation with them. He was watching them have a conversation with someone else. He wasn't involved in any of the conversations because he's the a-hole he's the one no one actually wants to talk to because he's just judging everybody gotcha. and so there's kind of this second layer and i have that kind of thing a lot through a lot of my videos where it kind of starts off with like ha 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 but then there's another layer of depth that i really like yeah that is cool well actually since you brought it up uh what about kung fu panda is so I can answer. I already know what you're going to ask. Yeah. Um, what I like so much about it is it is a talking panda and it's really silly and no one should take it seriously, but it took itself extremely seriously. Yeah. And what I like is the storyline of Kung Fu Panda 2 is this dictator commits genocide against a group of people for fear that they might rise up against him. It's set as a peacock killing pandas <laughs> and it's all of a sudden like, what? But it takes itself as seriously as a dictator committing genocide so it's a, it's a little absurdist in a sense it's absurd but it catches you off guard right. it's like lures you in like and, and it it treats kids very smart and it doesn't just shy away it, then it shows poe the panda have a memory of his parents and the genocide that happens and he like tears up and it's like all right kids here's this genocide 
and it's like very intense and heavy but then there's here's some funny jokes and slapstick afterwards but yeah. i really appreciate that it kind of like undercuts you it sets you up with these kind of cutesy funny ha 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 but actually life's pretty intense isn't it yeah. anyway here's some more funny stuff <laughs> and i really appreciate how it respects the audience in that way and it even though it's a goofy setup they take it very seriously the yeah. the writers and the director I mean, in a sense, sort of shares a little bit of commonality with like in Bruges, right? Like, because that movie, I mean, it's almost like a dark comedy in a sense. Uh, yeah, it does um, in that it is a comedy, but right. then there's a much deeper, the thing that live action has over and that the stigma against animation is that this is for kids yeah. and then they make a live action remake that's just like, oh, here's a grown up version. Right. And so grown ups watch non-animation, kids watch animation. And what I appreciate about like Kung Fu Panda and into the Spider-Verse where they take the time to be like, but this is serious. And mm-hmm. these characters are going to take a second to mourn about the things they've lost. And these are characters too, even though it's cool looking animation and live action, even though it's real people and for adults, oftentimes is much more monotone, not as respectful of the audience. Like the new Lion King, the live action version of Lion King is way more stupid like literally stupid. Like it spells out plot points that they assumed kids must have not had understood in the cartoon version. Yeah. But when Mufasa dies in the live action version, no one shed a tear. No one was like, okay, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. In the cartoon version, holy crap, it's insane. And it's just four minutes of just silence while Simba is crying about his dead dad. And it's lions, but the movie isn't like, lions are dead it's this son lost his dad his dad died trying to save the son and that's how seriously they take it and that's what works so well it's like okay yeah but they're lions but don't worry about that um and so that's what comfort panda did and that's kind of what i do with my animation it's like okay yes yeah, this cute little character here um and he's ranting about what's an example not dying right he's, he's ranting about he's never going to die all these funny things other people choke ha ha if people mug him he's seen jackie chan movies he can kick these guys ha 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 but at the end it gets all quiet and he says, I'll never die. That's something others do. And then it cuts to him sitting at a funeral um, and it kind of sh- it's just him alone at a tombstone. And so all of a sudden it's like this, and that's what I'm trying to do is it's kind of like, yeah, it's cute animation, ha ha ha, but Luck is a little character. He's got his own life and his own sadness and let's kind of sit with him. Yeah. So that's what's going on there. Yeah, how do you... Uh, actually, yeah, I was thinking earlier today, like, how do you write in a way that doesn't draw attention to the fact that it's writing? Like, I've seen so many really terrible, especially on, like, Amazon Netflix shows, mm-hmm. where you can tell it's just young, terrible writers mm-hmm. that it makes you as the audience conscious of the fact that their writing is crap and like it it draws attention to itself how do you avoid that and do you have like a process for avoiding that there's a few things one um in what you kind of describe with like the crappy just shows on tv yeah there's this kind of thing where the writing is really bad but if you point out that it's bad it's now good but it's not but so there's a lot of self-ironic humor that doesn't work in my opinion um it's like when they point out in big bang theory how annoying it is that they keep saying bazinga yeah but it doesn't stop the fact that it's been annoying that you've been saying bazinga this whole time right (laughs) it's like you can't just point it out and now (laughs) it's good writing right um so i think a lot of writers 
also are way too safe. Um, and so they're trying to think of a joke that uh, you can tell your grandma or not even your grandma that you can tell your four-year-old yeah. and that four-year-old will understand and not ask questions. So I think writing today is too safe. In YouTube world though, what really destroys you know, my peers' videos at times is either when they stop in the middle of it and say this episode was sponsored by NordVPN and oh, they take yeah. two minutes out of your time and you have to now scroll through and say that ruins that. Yep. Or they reference their own videos and they say, they'll start a video like, two years ago I made a video about talking about blah, blah, blah. blah. And now all of a sudden like, oh yeah, I'm watching a YouTuber. And now it's like this weird- Yeah, like pulls you out yeah, of the immersion. You're not watching a character, you're watching just a dude yeah. with this cartoon avatar. And actually that's an interesting point back to- actual television from back in the day when you had to watch commercials mm -hmm. that had to ha you almost had to create a well you had to create a show that fit into a certain time frame yeah for sure but you also had to make a show that like when you do those commercial breaks it doesn't kill the show completely like i was so, thinking i was thinking of like lost i was about to say lost uh, yeah, literally wrote around the drum they would build these annoying cliffhangers too like yeah. right at the commercial break yeah so like it, that must have affected the and, writing and, and style what's tricky is it's annoying but now that you stream it on netflix and there is no commercials boy, is it great for pacing because it really moves along because they've yeah. got to get to the next cliffhanger. Yeah. But you don't have to suffer through the commercials. You get to, So it actually makes the pacing a lot better that what happened with Arrested Development in their recent Netflix uh, season Demise. Their demise, <laughs> where they didn't have the restraint of commercial breaks. Yep. So he was free to let the actors breathe and let jokes run out. And now episodes were 35 minutes and got yeah. a little boring. And so that was one of the detriments is having to constrain it and you get more jokes per minute actually really helps shows back in the day i agree and actually um i read a book a while back by the co-creator of twitter and that was one of his biggest points was like the maybe it's sort of a gimmick but the fact that there's only 250 characters or 256 whatever it is uh that you can post in a tweet is actually, in a sense, that constraint gives people more creativity. I very much agree. And I agree with There's that. There's a lot of creativity yeah. that's born from limitations, uh, and that's why they like look at Bach and right. those greats, is they didn't have a computer where they could kind of overlay a bunch of things. They had to think, of how can they do this with what I have? Right, and he just played on the pipe organ, right? Like, there wasn't even a piano back then. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he didn't or, wasn't able to play quiet or loud. Right. He had to play the same volume. That's interesting. So... People, not to go too much into another <laughs> tangent, but people nowadays do give emphasis and and play loud or quiet on his pieces, right? Like, yeah, they add what they would have thought Bach would have wished he could have done. That's interesting, and I'm sure he would have loved being able to play quiet and loud. Yeah, um, but what also happens is in music, we can compare it to music, but it can bring bring it right back to like film theory and all that stuff. Is you have a bunch of different keys in music, in the key of C, Q, of G, or whatever like that, and basically that is is just a restraint on the innumerable innumerable options you could have had. When you sit someone down in front of the piano, like, play something, it's like, but it's like, play something only using the white keys. Right. Like, okay, okay. And now with that, you're more free to experiment. Maybe this time, ooh, I had a black key. Ooh. Yeah. But overall, I'm sticking with the white keys. And so it's like, you restrain yourself and then every now and then break the rule. And that's kind of what the three act structure is. Yeah. Do this. Set up a world, mm -hmm. change the world, have fun in this new world, have a cool ending. And now, but what if 
what if I have like a f- false ending and you think that's the ending? Ooh, and they change it a little bit overall. It's still the three-act structure. Yeah, it's you have to know the rules to break the rules yeah. as cliche as that trope is. It's true. But it actually makes sense. No, there's this uh, old expression that goes, a bad artist doesn't know the rules. A good artist follows the rules and a great artist breaks the rules. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Would you say that your animations follow a three-act structure? Uh, it's like just the second and third act. Gotcha. Um, well, each joke has to have a mini three acts. You know, it's the setup, the anticipation, and the punchline. So each joke is its own, but each episode is really just second, third act. The setup is you're on my YouTube channel, and here's my little character, and there's your first act is within every episode from then on out. What would you say are some of the constraints that you set for yourself on Luck Is Me? See, that's a good question. Hmm. Could it be? I mean, the fact that you have to animate every single frame. Yeah, the the major constraint is that it's between three and five minutes. That's number one constraint. The other constraint is that I don't ever want to reference my own channel. I don't want to say like reference that I make videos, reference that this is YouTube, and I want the every ending to be an ending which meaning like, the episodes are kind of individual from each other and they don't connect. They're individual from each other but a lot of youtube videos they just kind of like so anyway thanks for watching <laughs> it just is just done all of a sudden but i wanted like a clear satisfying there's a build-up it concluded everyone knows they don't have to look at the time stamp to know this is now the ending yeah what do you think that sort of sense of finality does? It just like keeps you immersed in it or something? It's better. It's more professional. And I think that's it. I think, I guess what I'm getting at is a lot of YouTubers make videos and they, and, and as a video, not as a piece of, I won't say art. It's art, but not like ooh, art. But like, <laughs> but you know, it's like imagine you watch a movie, mm. and the director's like, "Thanks so much for watching, you guys. I got other videos." <laughs> like, it's like what? <laughs> it's like yeah, I got well, other videos that came out. Go totally give those a like. Pulls you out, or just like go of, and smash that like button. You right. know, it's like be sure you leave the theater and compliment. It's a cliche. In it's a sense. it's it's a cliche that one is. Uh, it takes you out of the immersion, which I think, you know, the fact that you have to click on other videos and is also is breaking the immersion, but I don't want to further break the immersion sure. by saying smash that like button. <laughs> and the, uh, oh, what was the second thing? What were we just saying? Immersion. Immersion. And then, and then finality. And it's, it goes back to why, even if I had sponsors, no, mm-hmm. I had one, NordVPN wanted me to sponsor a video, but I didn't, do it because I don't want to stop everything and say this is brought to by Norfolk. And I get why people do it. You got to make a living 100%. Sure. Um, so I don't poo poo that at all. But the style of videos that I'm making, I don't want to stop everybody and be like, go put in the code luck as me when a sponsor like Nord VPN tries to sponsor you. Do they require that it go yeah, they either have a script middle? or it's either like a script or just like bullet points like mention that you use it, mention that. 
uh, it's great. Mention like you know, it's like like mention these things. Yeah. Um, and so you can. There's nothing wrong with it, but it depends with what kind of content you're trying to make. I'm not. I I yeah 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 yeah. I don't want luck is me to be an internet icon or like or not internet icon uh a YouTuber. I don't want luck is me to be a YouTuber. I don't want him to be right a, a dude. Like essentially, your content could could work in without the context of YouTube. Yeah, that's there's a good way to put it. Right. If you could pluck it out, put it on Adult Swim, and it works fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's. I don't want it to be a YouTube video. That's a good way to put it. That makes sense. Yeah, I like that because if YouTube dies yeah. and I re-upload it somewhere else, it works fine. Yeah, and it, it's not like constrained by the platform it's mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. right? Well, and you also aren't a typical YouTuber from the standpoint that most YouTubers put out content every week or every two weeks. You're like putting out like once a month, but it's like much higher quality. Oh, I wish once a month. Or once every three months. Once every two or three months. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. <laughs> Next question. Uh, how has your style changed over time? Better. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, hold, on. Short one. <laughs> no, hold on. Uh, my style has changed over time. Where initially I wasn't ever going to do lip syncing. It, that's the only thing that's changed. I lip syncing now. No, it it's, just keeps going back to getting better and better and better and better. Here's what's crazy. My mind is crazy, man. Yeah. I, I think two things opposite at the same time. And I'm wrong in both ways. One is this channel is meant as an avenue, a portfolio to increase my skills as an animator. Yep. But at the same time, it's become something different where now I like my little character Luck and he's his own little guy. And now there's like this overarching storyline that I'm threading that eventually he has his own conclusion. There's an ending to Luck as me. And so it's now no longer just a portfolio. Like you wrote an ending. Mm-hmm. To there's character. an actual ending. He's got a character arc I'm very excited about. Um, and it's now Luck now no longer is a portfolio because I've kind of mastered the Luck style. And now I'm going to keep doing the Harry Potter style where it's like, okay, I'm going to, now I'm going to randomly upload videos that have nothing to do with luck. Those are my portfolio things. It's his full color. It's not stick animation, basically. It's not anything to do with luck. This is the kind of thing that I would show in an animation reel if I were to, were to apply to an animation studio. And will those cartoons like marvel be part of like the universe of luck at some no point. <laughs> no no <laughs> that would be funny that would be funny do you have like a vision for what your sort of goal style will become at some point or is that just kind of an evolving process or art my goal is to be just the uh, lead designer and uh i forget what they call it but I think it's still just a lead designer's job where the other animators will animate their scenes and they show me what they did. And I just go through and be like, all right, right here, that doesn't quite look like how the character is supposed to look. Maybe have them be in this pose instead. And I just clean up what they do. But I would have designed all the characters. I'm in charge of what it looks like, but I'm not doing the animation anymore. So as far as like my skills in animating, I don't have any desire to get much better just to get more 
quick and efficient at it, but not much better. The goal is eventually I can just hire the animators who have been animating their whole lives, who had practiced art, took an art classes since they were nine or 10, just get better people at it. Mm. And I've got, I'm the ideas guy. <laughs> I'll have all the ideas, but I'll actually be there like designing and writing and like, not just the ideas guy. Yeah. But that makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of covered this one, but um, how does animation in terms of storytelling differ from live action in terms of like your latitude for storytelling? What, what are some of the um, things that you can do in animation that you can't do in live action and vice versa? Animation is far more consistent and if they pick a style and stick with it, mm-hmm. um, it's far more consistent. So even South Park, is very simple animation, but it's very simple. Uh, it's very, very consistent as you get sucked in. And if a character's head gets blown off, it doesn't look fake. It looks real because it's with, it looks, it's real. That's it's consistent. Whereas in an R rated movie, a character's head gets blown off and we're like, ah, the CG wasn't very good. Even though like overall looks more real, it's not as consistent and you get taken out of it and you're not sold as much. And so what animation has, no matter the style, as long as it chooses a style and sticks to it, it's, uh, what's that suspension of disbelief is Mm -hmm. gone. You are there and you believe it the whole way through. Even if it's a talking panda, you're, it's consistent and you're in it. And so. That's such an interesting point because mm -hmm. you obviously know that it's fake. But it's consistent. But it's consistent. So it doesn't actually matter. Yeah, Yeah. It's like when you see, uh intentionally trying to be photorealistic animation 3d animation Mm -hmm. that looks a little off because it's animated Mm -hmm. i think a good example would be like looking back on the early lord of the rings looking at like they did a great job they did a great job for the time yeah but now you're like oh that's not quite right but But it's just tiny even still like the new hobbit movie they nailed it even more and Gollum looks as real as real as he can look yeah but because bilbo is a real person yep he's real that's a real actor. Gollum, we know, is CG. It has to be. Right. And already now there's a, a disconnection. Um, and now if Gollum explodes or whatever happens, you're not as grossed out as when Kenny in South Park explodes. Right. And then it, it's also interesting, um, the progression of what we expect as an audience for what constitutes good CG has changed dramatically over time. Look at like the uh, Star Wars, you know, is is probably a good starting point because mm-hmm. that was like the best CG of all time. Uh, I mean, maybe actually it was like live action effects. Yeah. But it was the best at the time. And now looking back, you're like, oh, that kind of sucks. It looks bad, but I'm still more wrapped up. And I'm not just saying it as like, ooh. Yeah. I'm still more wrapped up in the old Star Wars movie than I am in the new one because... And sometimes the new ones will use practical effects as like a gimmick, like this is practical, ho, ho, ho. Right. but it's surrounded by CG cur- curtains and stuff. Um, but the old movies, it's puppets, mm-hmm. but they're real. And so there's, it's still consistent. Yoda's a puppet, but he's real. It's still consistent. Yep. But now Yoda's not a puppet. Well, the newest, newest one, they made him puppet again. Uh, but like the middle ones where was, he was a CG guy, um, it was inconsistent. And so I'm and, out. And I'm it was also now. at the early stage of actual cg computer graphics yeah and it like his skin looked weird and but i bet you if we 
were, you know, 10 again or whatever, when, when that movie came out and we watched it, we'd be like, yeah, that looks great. It looks great, but the puppet would have looked great too. But don't you think that like the novelty of the, of how realistic it looks, I guess, at the time is, is like, if it's the best that you've seen so far, it draws you in. But as soon as it becomes sort of old looking in a sense, like where it, where you have seen better and you now know that other things can look way better, that kind of pulls you out. Because, for example, I remember seeing the Lord of the Rings in theaters. I always thought Gollum looked so good. I, it never drew me out of the film. But now looking back, it's like, oh, yeah, that kind of... Have you watched it recently? Uh, within the last three years it or so. It still looks pretty dang good, man. It still it looks, looks better than a lot of modern day, which is crazy. And, it, and I'm not trying but to no, pick no, on no, But I know exactly what you're saying yeah. is now that we've seen the Hobbit version of Gollum, which is just an enhanced version, right. does the other Gollum just now... Look worse yeah. in, in retrospect. Right. Sort of. And that's the problem is because it goes back to the whole consistency thing, consistency thing where within, you know, Bilbo Baggins looks as real as Frodo Baggins did the real people. And so it just goes back to the inconsistency thing. Yeah. I think that's a great point Mm -hmm. is that at the end of the day, as long as you are being consistent with it. Yeah. Yeah. That does make sense. And that's why I hate the modern Disney Pixar look, they sort of are trying something different with Luca. I think it looks even worse. I hate their oval mouths and how they, what I don't like is there's this craze of how realistic can we make the backgrounds? Like Toy Story 4's backgrounds is absurd. It looks like real life. And Frozen 2, it looks like it's real. And it, like Frozen 2, the trailer, when it came out, I laughed because it has Elsa, I think is the main character's name, mm-hmm. the queen, ice queen, or whatever. She's stranded, like she got washed up on a beach or something like that, and it shows like splashing of the waves, and it's like, this is real. This looks so real, and it's like a tech demo. This is insane, and all the pebbles, and it shows like the pebbles close up, like the details absurd, and then her dumb, goofy, like cartoon foot like walks on. It's it's still like this 3D animated, yeah. not realistic, not human foot. And now it shows, it kind of pans up and her big bulbous head with her giant eyes. It's like, this is still a weird, weird looking human now in this realistic setting. This looks like butt cheeks. This looks horrible. (laughs) (laughs) It looks so bad. And so Luca, what they did is they innovated a little bit because now their mouths are more oval, Mm. but it's still the same, like big bulbous face and really good looking backgrounds. They made the backgrounds in Luca a little more cartoony, so it helps a little bit, but finding Nemo looks better than Luca because the ocean didn't look hyper realistic and right. the fish didn't either. Even though that may have been their intent, but they the were trying to make it, but it wasn't. There. So we were always in it like, yeah, this is just a fun animation version of the ocean. Yeah. It's actually a really interesting point because it, maybe it goes back to for them. Like, how do you make, how do you progress the art form? How do you make it? And that's better? where into the spider verse stepped in and starting right. animation is like, here's how you do it. Yeah. You implement and some 2d effects on top of it. Pixar arguably is sort of stuck in the past. Like they're, it, they're uh, almost doing Pixar the, are completely stuck. They're doing like the video game thing, which is like, let's push the envelope realistic, of realism. And you know, realism. they had this whole like 30 minute video talking about toy story fours, like camera. We were able to like hyper realistic 16 millimeter camera. It's all freaking digital. And I'm like, okay, but it does, yeah, <laughs> it care. doesn't matter. Because, I don't care that the pebbles look real right. that they're walking on. Yeah, it's almost you almost prefer them to do more stylized yeah. than hyper. It's yeah, and it's bizarre too because they're making the characters like you were saying very cartoonish. They're still big bulbous head, yeah. giant eye. Yeah, it's still. Do you think that that style that Pixar 
uses is influenced by like the old Disney cartoons in any way? Or uh-huh. is it Yeah, unique? if you look at um, Aladdin and uh, it's the same look of like the, the way they do their eyes is very similar and the way they smile kind of smiles up one side of the face. They do the exact same thing with Tangled. 2008 Tangled came out. That was like the first Disney 3D movie. Mm-hmm. And they just tried to copy how it looked in Aladdin, Princess of the Frog, and things like that, but in a 3D version. And from then on, and even like when students learn animation, they copy what does Disney look like and what does Pixar look like and what does DreamWorks now look like. It all looks the exact same as what it looks like. Right. And then it took Sony Animation to just like, I don't know, let's try something completely different because we're not you guys and we want to stand out to sell tickets. Let's try something way different. And that was uh, a huge risk on their part. I remember hearing... I don't know where I heard this, but the, there was like multiple times where they, that film could have not made it to theaters. Well, like they, they were having a hard time getting funding for it. And it was that's a huge risk on their part to push the envelope because everyone's like, no, people aren't going to like that. So that's, I'm surprised. I would have, I, and it, it, that could be very well true. I would have thought in my optimistic light that Sony Animation, Sony has a reputation for being very lenient and giving a lot of creative control to either their music label or to their animation studios. And so I would have thought that they'd be like, yeah, try something new. We own Spider-Man. Go crazy. I mean, at the end of the day, they did. Yeah, so they, they, they did. And uh, yeah, it, it worked out really well. So yeah, I guess that brings up the question of how does the style of Japanese animation compare with uh, like the Disney style? Is it, it's like more sharp, right? Like the edges and stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Western animation is more, yeah, sharp for sure. Uh, their movement is more Looney Tunes ask, I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at like Aladdin, the Disney Renaissance era. Yeah, um, not like the modern 3D, like 2D animation. They will the squash and stretch is what they call it. Yeah. Uh, so when Aladdin gets pulled by the genie real quick, uh, Aladdin's arm will stretch first, and then Aladdin will follow in a weird distorted smear way, and then follow along like in a rubber band snapping. Right. Where in uh, Disney, I mean in uh, Japanese animation, they don't do that. They don't. Uh, go off model they call it they keep the characters looking correct even when they get yanked there might be a tiny bit of squash and stretch but for the most part it looks like how a kid would get yanked but it's just 2d beautiful animation gotcha uh sort of switching gears what would you say um was do you think that college helped you become a better writer no no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> do you think that there was value in no. your degree no no <laughs> zero no <laughs> Ouch. no the only value that came was uh there was a teacher there i don't mind name dropping him craig wright he was the most fantastic teacher in the world and mm-hmm. he was the writing teacher and he against all odds su the college was able to really teach writing very well you can tell he had zero curriculum he wasn't following any of like writerly class things he was very much as enthusiastic about writing and was very encouraging about it and what he did was he just encouraged you to write and write things you never would have normally written not to say to get you better just to get you to do it and that's the biggest thing that college did for me is it was just getting me to do it but i didn't learn so it was like more kind of learning discipline. I rather. learned discipline. Right. Um, 
Do you even do you feel like you networked with people too? No, <laughs> I didn't really either. <laughs> college was a waste of time. I, yeah. College yeah. was a waste of time. Yeah. Like Craig Wright was fantastic, and I love him. Um, he wasn't worth the tuition though. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. for the four years, <laughs> it wasn't worth it. I had to. I, this is going to be my next cartoon, not the next one, but pretty soon mm. about college. That it's just the most passion quenching crushing yeah institution where you're forced to take whale biology (laughs) and i'm just trying to learn how to write and it's this such bullcrap yeah yeah i couldn't agree it's so bad (laughs) yeah you're like under all this stress which kills your desire to actually learn the subject that you might have actually enjoyed yeah uh and or it's a subject that you just absolutely have no interest in but you're required to take it yeah yeah what's the point and it, it it goes back to like even to learn animation college won't help with that at all except for you have a deadline to release your final project and so that might just get the person who wouldn't have done that to just do it and that's the only thing and i think you can kind of replicate that same situation learn that discipline from a job if you're lucky enough to get a job that's the thing if you're able to get a job without the college degree then you'll be forced to learn that same discipline but that's why a lot of jobs like the college degree because it means you've got that discipline not that you can animate well it's like okay you're familiar with deadlines cool do you think you learned any of the like meta uh uh, meta skills about writing like the three-act structure and stuff like that was that uh most of the learning i did was outside of college uh, I've gotten buying my own books about three act structure, uh, watching YouTube videos, dissecting movies and things like that. 99% of the th- things I've learned, even outside of writing, was done outside of college. That's how I feel too. Yeah. College is, and they said this before, it's just memorizing for a test and then you let go of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so we were both homeschooled growing mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that has uh, had yes, an effect? My creativity. Yeah. Yeah. That helped a lot. Because my mom didn't really teach me things. <laughs> she gave me books. She's like, read these books. And I'm going to check to see if you did it. I was like, okay. And then she never checked. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to read anymore. <laughs> but I still just loved writing. So I kept writing. We made dumb movies together. Oh, yeah. And so what I naturally had a proclivity towards, I had an ample amount of time to do. And that was creative storytelling. Yeah. I think for me it was like... Just you have so much free time to if you have an ounce of interest in something, yeah, you have time to actually pursue it, yeah. and you're not stifled by all these like stupid. No, I would love to pursuits. homeschool my kids, uh, but actually like homeschool them, but for only like, a few hours a day, and then here you go, have fun now. Yeah, the only thing I th- I worry about with homeschooling is like I was really fortunate and I could go to Blackstone and like hang out with a bunch of people and socialize or Mm -hmm. hang out with you guys. But, um, and I've definitely seen this happen where kids become really socially isolated. I know if you find homeschool groups or you go to a church or something like that, then you can, you know, yeah, you can solve that. You can figure out ways around it for sure. Um, can you talk about your pursuit of learning Japanese and has that played at all into your animation passion or writing passion? Are they related at all? Hmm. They're related in so far as the discipline mm-hmm. of learning a skill on my own. Cause I, you know, I, 
I took the one animation class in college because it was elective. But I, it was, you know, two months of bullcrap and they didn't really teach me anything. I just got my character to, uh, all he did was fall down elevator shafts. <laughs> it was a lot of tweening, a lot of just crappy. There you go. He's like, A plus, he tried. <laughs> so I was like, all right, thank you. <laughs> and then, uh, so all the animation, I, I bought the animation survival guide and I watched animation tutorials and I studied different animators and their techniques, squash and stretch, anticipation, and all that kind of stuff. So I learned all the fundamentals of animating by uh, on my own mm-hmm. and with japanese as well i'm not fluent but i'm now conversational and i've learned all that on my own as well and it was the same i guess d- discipline that i learned that i had from learning how to animate what it really comes down to is our generation is very familiar with the internet yep and it's not that I have this skill. It's that our generation has this skill and recognizing that we don't need to go to college and learn a new skill. Totally. We don't need to pay for online courses. It's all there and we know how to search for it. Yep. And it's not like it's a hard skill. But we just kind of know that it is all there. And if you sift through the really bad tutorials and you sift through the bad tutors, you find these free people who are amazing yep. and you can build communities, whether it's r slash Japanese or things like that. And through the internet, you can get an education far superior than college could ever offer. Unless it's like a hands-on thing, like being a surgeon, the college is good. I will say one caveat to that though, and I do agree generally, um, is I think that Education, especially self-education, requires some level of personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. Like you need mm-hmm. to want it. You yeah. Can, and I think maybe college, to some degree, is a bit of a cop out where you feel like because you got that pa- piece of paper, you, you earned it. Even though, in it's possible that you literally just studied to the test, like you were talking yeah. about, mm-hmm. and you maybe learned absolutely nothing at the end of the day. Yep. But this stamp of papers tells your future employer you yeah. did the work. Yeah. But you actually didn't learn anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the degree is just proof that I spent four years in college. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I made it through the torture yeah. of college. It doesn't show anything what I know, though. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the portfolio comes into play. That's right, exactly. And I, I feel the same way when I look, if I were looking for someone um, as like a, if I were the boss of someone, I would be looking 100% at their skill sets yeah. and not at all. But that's because you're in this generation. The next, the older right. generation, Gen X or boomers or whatever like that, they're looking at the degree still. It's true. I wonder, do you think that stigma will change in yes, our lifetime? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Once you and I are the bosses, we <laughs> understand, like, I don't care what you want to college. Show me your portfolio. Like, yeah. I'm wasting my time with this. Yeah, it's a funny thing. Mm. What do you think allows you to not fear putting out your art on the internet? Because that's, that's a big one. That's a big one. It stops a lot of people The that... that Let's see. It goes back to comedians having a, you know, believe this not, retarded security about themselves where it, uh, and I don't quite have this. I'm working on it. Where you put something out and you just don't care. Like you're so stupidly secure and your head is just so far up in the clouds that someone could be stabbing your shins and you're like, ah, woo. 
<laughs> you just don't care at all. And that's kind of what you need to have. I have that for the most part, but there'll be times where I'll just get a, a mean comment, but not like a, like, if you stupid, like, it was like, oh, but it's like some, like, just like genuinely, like, truthfully mean, <laughs> where it's like, this wasn't very funny. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> those are way more because yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's and it's a negativity bias where there's so all the other comments are like, woo, so great. And then, uh, but then it's like, you know, this didn't seem like you tried it that hard on this one. I'm like, oh, Ouch. I did though. Uh, yeah. But it, yeah, I feel like that actually kicked me out of YouTube a little bit. Yeah. Cause I saw some of that when it, 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 I was just doing content. You, just, it, 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 you ignore it, but don't ignore it. Cause that's also just super arrogant of you. Right. Like, listen to what they have to say. Even if they're being like, unreasonable like f you this is stupid you should die <laughs> consider that <laughs> take that seriously i'm actually like oh, okay they did, you this should guy die. i pissed this guy off somehow yeah and it's kind of interesting you know <laughs> <laughs> let me hear that but just don't worry about it i think is the thing yeah i wonder like people change so much when they're on the internet because of that sort of pseudo anonymity mm-hmm like what do you think that is and do you do you kind of like rationalize that at all when when you see something really negative would you be like oh yeah that person would just never say now that to i'm my at face. the point where i laugh when it's yeah. like genuine like when it's those really mean like you know f you this is stupid like this is a waste of my time you should get off youtube i i i laugh i think it's funny either because they're trolling or because it's so over the top or, you know, it's just, it it doesn't matter because I'm still going to make the next video. Right. So it's like, once you just kind of like, it doesn't matter. Then yeah. you can kind of just laugh at it. Do you feel like you make your content for the audience or for yourself? The only thing I altered for the audience was, and is at the advice of my friend, um, was stop saying the word retarded. I like that word. I think it's hilarious. but it's fallen out of disrepute it's kind of considered a slur now yeah and the comments i got that there's a couple comments saying like uh you shouldn't say retarded that's retarded (laughs) 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 that'd be the best comment (laughs) they say like don't say retarded that's lame or something like that yeah which is still the same word but you know i like to ignore ignore but then i got comments saying like it just doesn't feel like you know it just feels a little too um like what there was a long comment saying like your channel feels so safe and weirdly community driven but when you use that word it kind of alienates that kind of fe- community feeling mm. i was like oh that's kind of interesting and i asked my friend like what he thought and he said it it, it is off brand for what luck is me seems to be mm-hmm. it should be that you know you talk about things that maybe a 10 year old shouldn't watch but there's nothing he couldn't quote is kind of thing. Yeah, um, that's a really... And that's I, a I was like, I, I, that's fair enough. So I stopped saying the word retarded. But the the things I actually talk about and the topics, whether it's um, super racist, like the modern Halloween one or things like that. Racist or racy? Racist. Is the it? modern Halloween one? Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, it's the, There's a line in there that I think I had suspicions got me shadow banned where the guy comes i should give the context so the context is it's called modern halloween and there's new rules that government put in place for if you're doing a halloween party the costume guidelines you have to dress on your own people's heritage and your own people's race and so everyone dresses on their own people's history and so luck who's 25 percent jewish 
dresses up as a Jew. But someone in the party is like, oh, this is awkward. I'm of German descent. And he puts on a Nazi band and a Nazi cap. And it looks like it's all right. You know, it's part of your culture. And there's another person who has a KKK mask because he's of that, you know, the South or something like that. And then there's a the part where uh, black people come and trick or treat. And, and so one of the person, the KKK guy, opens the door and says, oh, what are you guys supposed to be? And they say, oh, we're just a bunch of blacks. So we just try to dress up as a bunch of black people because that's all they're allowed to dress up as. They have to dress as their own race. Um, and so the Nazi guy comes out and says, Oh, a bunch of blacks burn them with the Jews. Ha ha ha. And they're all just laughing and the black people get really uncomfortable and it's extremely racist. But the whole point is making fun of people who are so sensitive about costumes that they're actually the racist ones by like, if you're, you're only allowed to dress as your own people, right? They're being the more restrictive racist people in my opinion. So it's kind of like it's racist, anti-racist. I think it's very funny. I was very happy about it. Most people got a very good laugh out of it, but it's there's no bad words, but it's definitely very edgy. Right. So I, but I would never take that video down in a second. I, it's if I'm proud of it, it's up forever. Yeah, it's up forever. Yeah. Well, uh, back to your um, comment on the word retarded. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you think it is about people getting offended about certain words, even though those words end up moving? They end up shifting that sort of derogatory. Uh, meaning changes to the next word that people use for that same thing. Like, why do you, why do you think, what do you make of that? Yeah. uh, That's going to be like another lucky me episode. It is the silliest thing in the world. One of my favorite examples is colored people. Yeah. Didn't that kind of come back? So that was very normal to say. They became very racist, like colored, colored films. Like, are you crazy? Very racist. How dare you? Like, fair enough. Yeah, I agree. That seems very weird. Yeah, we yeah. shouldn't say that anymore. It's people of color. Oh, <laughs> that's what we say now? Yeah, <laughs> Wait a I minute. know. And <laughs> it like, sounds so similar. It's, yeah. It's and, and you'll hear then, it's not colored people, it's colored folk. <laughs> like, this is dumb. I hate all this. Yeah. So it's, words are very silly. Yeah. Um, Even like, you know, you break it down, like, you got poop. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's very, ha, ha, ha. You got crap, like, mm, you know, it's kind of a little more edgy. It's a little crude. You yeah, got shit, like, well, don't say that. It was like, it all just means the same thing. Like, there's yeah. weird degrees of how you reference this fecal matter. Yeah. So it's like, it's all very, very silly. It is silly. And we attribute so much. So much meaning. Meaning. But it's also, there is some degree of, like, the way someone uses it. Like, if someone uses the word shit, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mom. And... They're going to use it more likely in a very, maybe a more derogatory way than they're going to use the word poop, where that's maybe going to be used uh, in like a very literal sense. I know, but it is all just social. And that's what's very interesting. Right. Um, And that goes back to, you know, like fag was just bundle sticks. Or was that cigarette? What uh, was it? It's a cigarette in in the UK at least. That's right. Right. Yeah. I mean, now it's not that. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Um, gay meant happy. Now it's not. So it's like all these things that like they drastically change. It's pretty funny, and that's why right. like you know hate speech is would be impossible to implement because you like you ban this word, but like all right, then let's make a new word for that same thing. Right. Um, so retarded, I like because I think it sounds really good. Like retarded has well, and a it nice literally sound to it. Just means slow. Slow, like, and that was the clinical term. That yeah. wasn't a thing you would say against a group of people that was like, well, I've medically diagnosed you as retarded. You know, this is how it is. Right. And, you know, people use it as an insult. All right. So now it's off limits, but mentally challenged is going to be used as an insult. Now it'll be off limits. It's like, it's 
Well, and it's also going to be, uh, well, that word also is used in like baking for like your dough is rising slow. They say your dough is retarded. Uh, but you know, idiot is a strange one because that meant the same thing. That was also like the clinical term that yeah. we still just use and no one has a problem with. So it's like, that is a weird one. Yeah. yeah Cause it, it really is probably more derogatory than some of the other ones. Yeah. In some ways. And so it's all idiotic and retarded and lame. <laughs> to use all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, if you had to give advice to um, people that weren't offended by all of the previous discussion yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, on uh, pursuing animating, especially if they're just getting into it uh, mm. and writing, mm-hmm. what would you say? Hmm. Animating wise, stick with eight to 10 second videos at first and practice just a movement. Or you could do a longer one, but make the animation really simple and approach it like a comic book where a comic book artist should, when they're first starting off, draw very simple characters because they know they're going to have to redraw that character over and over and over and over again. What you see a lot is this animation that this person did online or on Reddit or something like that. And they'll draw a really good frame because they get really excited. I want to make it look just like Studio Ghibli. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. And then now, oh my gosh, I don't want to have him move his hand because <laughs> I have to draw him <laughs> all over again. So now he's really, really stiff and they just have wind blowing his hair moves. And like, there you go. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's kind of is... like you're creating, you're creating more work for yourself. Yeah. It'd been much more interesting if you just drew a stick figure, but he moves his hand now. Yeah. So it's just draw simple and just, it's all about movement, not detail, not how they look. It's movement. It's all what it is. And then what about on the writing side? If it's comedy, mm-hmm. do what you think is funny, period. If you think it's funny, then someone else will think it's funny. Don't worry about how many people don't think it's funny. Just do whatever you think is funny. And then also, I don't know, there's this kind of thing of, it goes back to do what you think is funny, be authentic. Uh, it's kind of like dating a girl, you know, be true to yourself, you know, yeah. just, you know be yourself. It's a hundred percent like, cause especially if you want to be like a YouTuber where you make hundreds and hundreds of videos, if you're not being yourself, either one, you'll create this weird schizophrenic personality and you'll lose yourself yep. or you'll just get really tired from having to play this character. So just be yourself. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, how would you avoid creating your characters into caricatures, like kind of like what we were talking about before, uh, actually not on this podcast, but earlier today? Yeah, the flanderism. I want to know that word, yeah. flanderism, something like that. Um, yeah. What happens, and I complimented a different YouTuber, an animator, his name's ooh, Alex... Oh, shoot. I feel bad. Oh, well. He's this other YouTuber. He's, he's got like a 3 million subscribers, so he doesn't need my shout out. But his voice when he does his animations is clearly his voice. Mm-hmm. He's not... Even I do a little bit of a luck is me voice, but that's really just for more energy. It's not a show I'm putting on. It's not like a character, but there's other animators okay. where you can tell they're not talking how they would normally talk. Right. It's this weird, like high pitched fakeness. And the, what you can tell is if you look back at their previous videos, they talk way different. 
And so there's this thing where it's like, yeah, you know, you come into your own style. And the same way your art style changes, your voice style, your voice acting changes. And that's totally fair. But what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I completely I looked at a bird. <laughs> that's like a memento from last night. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet bird flew by. <laughs> How you avoid uh, flanderism. Yeah. Or whatever the term is. Essentially creating caricatures out of your but characters. Y- YouTube itself avoids that because they're such short videos. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a YouTube channel where that happened. Mm. Can you think of one? Yeah, maybe it's harder because the the time format is so short yeah. that you are less likely to fall into that uh, issue. Where it, I feel like some YouTubers that aren't animators do fall into that. I mean, I remember like... Remember, like, um, uh, shoot, was the super original, like, fail blog videos, that guy, I feel like he sort of ended up creating such a, like, a trope, like, a cliche of what he does that it was... Do you mean equals three? Yeah, equals three. Okay, yeah, Ray William Johnson. It was so formulaic that it became almost a meme in a sense like his videos were just so yes okay i agree with you and now i understand more yeah yes a good example would be some big like let's players where they play horror games and they need scares they need to like have those reactions yeah you can tell when they first started horror games are scary but you get used to horror games they don't scare anymore so now you can tell they're fake scares Mm -hmm. and they come on the screen they have this new now they have like really high definition camera and they're screaming all the time from non-scary things they're just talking loud high energy buy our shirts on, you know, redbubble.com. It's like this weird uh, commercialism. It, not commercialism, but it's more of a business character. He's, yeah. he's now, it's now business. The YouTube channel is officially a business now. So it's not really philanderism. It's more so when the YouTube channel slowly becomes a business. Right. That's what happens. Yeah, it kind of corrupts the It corrupts it. It's when they content. start selling merch and when they put their own quotes on the merch, that's when things that can be a uh, spiral. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, now you're writing your next videos with a quippy thing that you'll repeat yourself multiple times to manufacture a quotable thing that your audience will then quote. And then you'll make a shirt out of it and it becomes really unauthentic. Yeah. That's a kind of gross cycle. It happens. That's the YouTube cycle. That's the philanderism. Yes. Cause Seinfeld's not making their own merch, right? That's right. not really a thing. They do now, but it's they after do now. the fact. Right. And so that's the YouTube. Okay, that's interesting to me now. That's the death of YouTubers. They become businesses. Yeah, and it. Uh, I think it's an Aristotle quote where he says, all paid work, I don't know if I fully agree with this quote, but all paid work uh, degrades the mind. And I mean, maybe to some degree. There I remember when I was, yeah, that. like my dumb young brain, like idealistic, like I, was, I wouldn't even accept a paycheck. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> like you like feel guilty for getting paid for doing something you love. But it's right. like, that's fair enough. Well, do you think that uh, if luck as me ever became your full-time gig, oh. would that corrupt the oh. joy of creating the art? Because there is then some sort of maybe negative incentive loop there. Um, yes, a hundred percent. That's why what luck is, luck is me is going to end soon. Um, his, his little character arc will, will be over and I'll make different types of videos. And so on the Patreon where I make most of my money is people supporting me, hopefully not the luck cartoons. Um, and if 
luck is me ends and everyone's like what you're not doing luck is me particular videos you're doing different kinds of videos now i'm out fair enough but hopefully enough people stick around supporting me as a creator uh, and that's why i won't ever do uh what do you call sponsors right and i don't have anything against sponsors myself but what would happen then is if sponsors are how i'm making money then i will release a video to pay rent and even if i'm not quite satisfied with it, it's like ah, but if i need to pay rent whereas patreon is monthly income whether or not i'm not quite able or satisfied to release the video yet i still am getting that income yeah it makes sense like the income stream and the way you do it mm-hmm. affects it's sort of the incentive cycle yeah to some degree yeah um back to a more sort of technical question that i wrote down and i forgot to get to earlier mm-hmm. um how do you record the audio and make it sound good? Because I know you don't you have like so? a professional setup <laughs> and all that. You think it sounds good? It, uh, I think it sounds good. Blanket over my head like a ghost. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Is that true? That's it. That's so it's like a $200 mic. I forget the type of mic and I just yeah. uh, ghost. I'm a little ghosty goo. I think it's, is it, it's a AKG condenser, I think. Maybe. <laughs> I remember you bought it at I, Guitar Center. No, it's not that one. I'm not oh, using that, that one. one. Well, I bought two, but it's not the black one. Okay. If that's what you're thinking. Yeah. It's something else. <laughs> I don't even know what it does. <laughs> it gets my voice in there. Yeah. And I just use Audacity, you know, the free program. And uh, I, there's no way to get rid of clicks. There's no click removal in Audacity. So I just record long takes. And sometimes it can be annoying, but it makes it sound the best. Because if you can't just take one part of the take and put another part of the take like you can but it's very rare that it feels right where audacity you're able to like do some crazy manipulation of the waveforms and really help seamlessly handle splices but uh oh i mean with audition yeah, yeah, audacity yep yep with audition yeah with audition with audition but with audacity uh it's not quite that sophisticated so you really just gotta do a good long take do you feel like uh when you listen back to your takes is that um kind of a review process where you get to feel out how natural the script feels. Yeah. That's kind of an interesting one with animation that I don't know if a lot of people quite understand. And my understanding, this is how to do it. It's how I do it. But I think this is how you do it Mm. is you record all the audio and are just mentally picturing the animation and how you'll space out the audio. Right. Um, Like when luck, uh, has to go huh, and then jump through a window and crash. And I'm just kind of picturing how that will probably flow. And then I put the sound effects without any visual aid. I'm like, that will probably be the right amount of spacing that I'll squeeze in the animation to get him crashing through the window. So you just visualize it. I just visualize it. And that's I amazing. think that's how everyone does it. Yeah. Oh, I wonder. I think so. Yeah. And then, well, what I imagine you do that and then you do the really rough thumbnail and you realize it's not enough time. And then you can go back and maybe make it a little bit longer. Do I wonder if some people do um, kind of like the film storyboarding where they do rough sketches and then they and then they record the audio to the rough sketches and try to get the timing right there and then and it's possible yeah Um, that seems harder to do i I would imagine you just record the audio yeah and then do the rough sketches place it out and realize ooh, okay i need a little more of a pause for this line right and then you go back and you just stretch out that pause in the audio but maybe the other way happens interesting yeah that makes sense um, well, because this is the Rogue Creators podcast, we have to obviously talk briefly about the Rogue Valley. 
Um, you currently are not living here. Yeah, this place. <laughs> but you're coming back. What? What? Uh, what do you love? What do you not love about this place? Yeah. Yeah. What I love is that it is... <laughs> Where do I begin? It's the gorgeous. It's mm. the most gorgeous valley in all of the Rogue Valley. <laughs> no, it's, it really is beautiful. Um, everything that's not Medford, I think, is outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. That's like half my audience, probably. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, and then what would you change if you could change anything Medford. about this place? Just Blow it up. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> If you could take Medford and just push it away. <laughs> <laughs> what specifically do you hate about Medford? Well, you know what they did? Hmm. Um, they built the overpass over the river, and they have just been shooting their own foot ever since. I agree. It's the silliest rough. thing. Like, even a five-year-old with building Legos would be like, I shouldn't put the bridge over this. <laughs> <laughs> like, the the most scenic, potentially part it's of your city. It's incredible. It's wild. It's incredible they messed that up. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. What's awesome is the I-5 human, uh, human trafficking. <laughs> you get a lot of that, which is nice. <laughs> That's so dark. Jeez. <laughs> um, what's interesting, too, when you, if you walk from Forage Coffee, yep. great, and you walk to Solid Ground, the new coffee shop, mm. you get to practice martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple times. <laughs> yeah. Well, fending off. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. If you act like you have a gun, then it's as good as having guns. No one will mess with you. So just always act like you, you have a gun. Just have like a big hot dog or something. Yeah. Your stick pocket. your squishy hot dog in your belt line and yep. then people will assume that's a squishy gun. <laughs> they're <laughs> strung out. They don't know. Yeah. You just aim your hot dog at them and they're like, oh, sorry, man. That sounds gnarly. Dude, I had to punch a homeless guy in the face. I tell you, I told you a story. Are, are you going to tell the whole podcast? I could tell you a story. It's this homeless dude. His name's. Joshua, I think. I can't remember. He has a name. And uh, he came into my place of business. I won't say what the job was beforehand, but he came into the place of business and involves kids present. Luckily, there was no kids at that minute, but there could have been kids arriving soon. And he comes in just swearing. He's just high. He's insane. I don't know. He's going crazy. And I tell him to leave. You got to leave. And he's just, he's just cursing me out cursing the world out, cursing the demons behind him, right? Just going nuts. He's just in the lobby. And I'm like, this, you got to leave. Like, we're about to have customers and kids are coming. Like, I don't want, they're going to get scarred. This is bad. You got to leave. And he's like, make me, make me. I was like, if you don't leave, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> That's what I said to him. I was like, firm warning, I guess. He's like, I'd like to see you try. And so I punched him in the face and he backed out because the, the door was still open. Yeah. And he backed out the front door and then uh, I closed the door on him, and that was just that life. was that life. was life. That was Happily life. Ever after that was gonna say that was life, and that was a Tuesday, <laughs> a typical Tuesday. My boss, I won't say who, deals with that and has had punched multiple homeless people Jeez. and kicked them. It's so bad. Yeah, it's bad for all business. It's so bad. It's incredible. What do you see as a solution to that? Everyone learns martial arts. <laughs> and we just punch them well, out of the city. Well, I, maybe I'll rephrase it. Well, how do we... 
do we go back to like having insane asylums? Like, what do you do? You gather black widows. (laughs) (laughs) You sprinkle them in Hawthorne Park. No, no, let's not incite violence on my show. Don't do that. Don't do that. I disavow. Um, uh, I like the idea of... Uh, do you want a serious? I'll give a serious I, answer. I want, I want a serious <laughs> okay. answer. I like the idea of uh, no tents, just get rid of tents, more homeless shelters, and the police uh, actually driving them to this homeless shelter. Uh, right now what happens is, because it wasn't like the first response, I'm going to start punching homeless people. It was, a bit, it was a constant issue that we call police over and over and over. It was like the 27th time. And they're like, hey, you know, listen, we'll get there and we'll get there. Like, uh, <laughs> like we're having a donut right yeah, now. Well, it's not even donuts. <laughs> like there's 16 others that we're calling. We've got to handle them too. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, they don't have time. So that's just like, now we're having to use physicality to keep them out of our, it's horrible. Yeah. But um, now what one of the police officers said one of the times when we had called and like, he came and he like put him in the car and we're like, what are you going to do with them? Are you going to arrest him? Because he was doing some uh sexual misconduct is what we should have called it is what he should have been charged with and he just said there's nothing we can do we're just gonna drive him down the block <laughs> it's like it's like this is horrible yeah so it's like if the police actually have somewhere to bring them yeah that would help a lot yeah and not jail and they said just put them in the homeless shelter yeah here yeah. you go yeah you hang out there essentially just not in a place where they're and what could help yeah and, and what could help and i don't know the exact scenario, but I, I don't know if the homeless shelters around here are like sober required. And so a lot of them just don't qualify. Yeah. So if it's just get rid of that, just allow them all just crazy or not, just there you go. You go there and just get rid of that requirement. I, the danger there though, is then you potentially will have some violence breaking out inside the homeless shelters. And then like the people that are peaceful yeah. and are abiding by the rules have the short end of the stick and it's tough so right it makes it it's it's tough outside of black widows cut that out (laughs) cut cut that out (laughs) well i think that's a good point to end all right (laughs) (laughs) well this is fun man all right man. let's let's do it again (laughs) (laughs) we got about 37 minutes probably yeah cut out cut it out we're good cut Cut it out cut it all out all right all right bye guys bye bye Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rogue Creators Podcast. To support this podcast, please rate five stars, leave a review, subscribe, and tell your friends and family about it.